0: Welcome to Code Together, a podcast for developers by developers, where we discuss technology and trends in industry. I'm your host, Tony Montolspice. AI-based solutions are in the forefront of technological innovation. Beyond cool technology demos like ChatGPT and Stable Diffusion, companies are starting to integrate AI into actual products like Microsoft's recently announced Microsoft 365 Copilot, which enables AI in their office suite. To generative AI image creation and professional content creation tools. Transformer models are the powerful neural networks that have become the standard for delivering advanced performance behind these innovations. But there is a challenge. Training these deep learning models at scale requires a large amount of computing power. This can make the process time-consuming, complex, and costly. This is actually also true of inference. It can just be really expensive to do AI in production. Today we will talk about all kinds of issues around accessible, production-level AI solutions, To that end, we are joined by Julian Simon and Ke Ding. Julian is currently chief evangelist at Hugging Face. He previously spent six years at Amazon Web Services, where he was the global technical evangelist for AI and machine learning. Prior to joining AWS, Julian served for 10 years as CTO and VP of engineering at several large-scale startups. Welcome to the podcast, Julian. Thank you, thank you for
1: having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Ke Ding is a principal engineer at Intel focused on applied machine learning solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Co. Thank you, Tony. So when I think about Hugging Face, I think mostly about transformers and large language models and more recently things like stable diffusion and really about trying to make AI accessible to a large variety of people, not just in the cloud who have a lot of hardware, but people that have some you know, smaller hardware that they can run on their local machines. Is that how I should be thinking about Hugging Face, Julian? What, what is the goal of Hugging Face as a company?
1: Well, the goal of, of Hugging Face is to democratize machine learning, and what we mean by that is allow every developer, every machine learning engineer out there, to work with state-of-the-art models uh, in the simplest possible way. Uh, you know, new models come out every day. Uh, at the moment, we have uh, over 160,000 models on the the Hugging Face Hub. Um, and um, some of them are, you know, crazy complicated, crazy advanced, but um, it's only a, f- a couple of lines of code to download them and and start predicting with them, and fine-tuning them is uh, is reasonably simple thanks to our open source library. So we try to abstract away a lot of the complexity and uh, so that even if you're a junior developer, you can go and grab the latest, greatest model for let's say, uh, you know, text to image generation and and put it to work in your apps without being an expert.
0: Awesome. And just, it's really funny because we actually were trying to schedule this podcast for a couple weeks and we were <laughs> going to talk about one topic. And then yesterday you guys dropped a nice bombshell, which was uh, the Bloom Z uh, model that starts with 176 billion parameters. And you actually ran it on a Gaudi 2 and got some yes. really cool performance numbers. So let's talk about that first. Oh, Julian, yes. talk to us about how you guys did this and what were the exciting results you got.
1: So Bloom is an open source alternative to GPT-3 that came out of the Big Science Project, which was a, a community project with a Hugging Face uh, involvement. And, and we, we built different versions of the model. And the, so the Blooms... With a Z <laughs> versions, or have been fine-tuned for particular tasks, and uh, and collaborating with uh, with Intel and and Habana Labs. Yes, we we posted this uh, cool blog post yesterday. Go and read it, showing that um, comparing um, uh, inference for um, different sizes of the Bloom's model. So we benchmarked the 176 billion parameter version and the 7 billion parameter version. For, uh, for inference on, on Gaudi 2. And um, we compared that to uh, latency that you would obtain on, a, on an NVIDIA A100 GPU, which is what a lot of people, I guess, are using these days. And we showed that uh, Gaudi 2 is 1.2x faster for the 176 billion parameter model and 3x faster for the uh, seven billion parameter model, which is probably the one you want, it makes more sense to me. So this is really amazing, and uh, and the, the the hardware optimization work with doing with in Intel on CPU and uh, and and Gaudi and Gaudi two, you know, we've been working together for a while. So it's a long list of uh, innovations we've built. Uh, is really really impressive, and uh, you know, every time I run those tests, uh, you know, I, I honestly I. A hard time believing the numbers. I run them again <laughs> um, because those are large models and they they go very very fast. Uh, you know, working with Ke, we we also had a post on a stable diffusion inference on on uh, on the latest generation of Xeon CPUs, and we're we're you know we're below five seconds for image generation. So a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, uh, it's GPU only for training, it's GPU only for inference, and you know. Fair enough. I mean, let everybody use what they want to use, but I say, hey, there are really amazing alternatives there from a performance perspective, from a cost-performance perspective. So you know, do a little bit of homework, and uh, and hopefully you can you can find something that works even better than what you have today.
0: One interesting question that I actually got from Twitter this morning was, why did the scaling for 176 billion parameters? Why was that only 1.2x a 100? Whereas the seven billion parameter model was three x of the A one hundred on Gaudi two, do we actually have any data um, to suggest why the the scaling was better, or the performance better on Gaudi two compared to A one hundred on the smaller model?
1: I, I'm honestly I'm not sure. Uh, I I didn't okay. you know I didn't I don't know if you know more, but um... yeah.
2: So this is an interesting question. So this is actually related to like the ratio between. Compute uh, and uh, memory and uh, some of the like uh, fabricate uh, communication piece, right? So that is uh, ratio will be different for different sizes of, of the models. And for 170 billion, 176 billion models, so it, it requires uh, like uh, uh, advanced techniques uh, even for inference, right? So like tensor parallelization, pipeline parallelization, in order to utilize uh, the like uh, eight gaudi in the one box kind of setup. Right. So that leads to like uh, the ratio will be different. So it um, like, uh, motivate us to design the better and the general hardware so that it can support multiple models, right? So nicely.
1: One thing I can say is um, you know when we work with customers, very, very quickly we, we find, and we agree on the fact that they don't need such a huge model. Um, they, they have a particular use case they want to solve, and the, the domain for the use case is actually you know much narrower than uh, a general purpose text generation model um, has. And so there are lots of benefits in actually using smaller models. And when I mean smaller, I mean you know maybe 20 billion or 10 billion or 6 billion. Um, they will, uh, in many cases, we find if you fine tune them on domain-specific data, they will outperform. The, the larger models so you know right sizing models is important and bigger is not necessarily better especially for enterprise use cases
2: so I, I fully agree fully agree on that so picking the right model for the like right problem to solve right so that's actually very important and uh, because at the end of the day so cost efficiency and they are they are one of the major considerations if you want to really deploy a model in a production environment right and the uh, so the rising right here is like uh, Intel provides uh, the right hardware, actually a broader portfolio of different hardware right, for different use cases, and then um, together with uh, um, hugging faces, right? So software on top of that and provide both, right? So productivity with, with, with performance and with very easy for use for the end customer.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, none of us—I mean, certainly not me—you know—are uh, hardware experts, <laughs> and so uh, you know, I'm, I'm ex- as an engineer, I'm always excited to read about the you know the the, the spec sheets for the, the 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 latest Deons, the latest Gaudis. These are amazing chips, but I wouldn't have the first idea on you know where to get started to optimize my code. So, and I think it's the same for most um, most developers and engineers out there. So, it's um, you know we build. Um, We leverage the hardware acceleration and and some of the software tools that uh, Intel has and we, you know, we package them into our uh, hardware acceleration library, it's called Optimum, and there's a version for Intel CPUs and there's a version for uh, Habana, etc. And and in, again, one or two lines of code, um, you just accelerate your models just like that and... and I think that's the way it should be, right? The experts, let the experts figure it out. Let the model experts figure out how to build great models. Let the hardware experts figure out how to build great chips. And and let, let the developers enjoy all that good stuff in two lines of code. You know, that's my mission.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that brings us kind of to the, the where you were talking about the, the webinar that I mentioned earlier, where when we look at this portfolio that we have of hardware, we have CPU, we have Gaudi, we have GPU. Um, right, we have a one hundred. You know, everybody has has cool hardware, but w- the one thing that we we look at is kind of the the cost benefit, right? What yes. what behave? What performance can I get? What problems can I solve? And I that's where you know I want to mention the webinar that you guys had, which was how do I take a a relatively big model and optimize it for CPU? Um, so I don't want to go over the entire webinar. I mean, we'll, sure, we'll sure. put a link for the podcast, but to, maybe you can talk about kind of the tools that Intel was kind of promoting there to kind of make this this dream of the one or two line, um, you know, transformation of your code into optimized performance on CPU. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure, sure. So Intel and the Hugging Face has been co-working like uh, for almost two years. And uh, so we we work together and try to like uh, optimize the transformer and the Hugging Face communities right, with the latest uh, Entails hardware features. And uh, so the so main, um, I would say, uh, like uh, use cases, right, in, in, in this space is like how to make sure so I can take a pre trained model to uh, like uh, do the um, fine-tuning for my particular task, right? So this is one of the main thing. And another thing is how to make the inference run much faster on a particular platform, right? So like Intel's Xeon platform, right? So those are the two main uh, focus for our collaboration, right? And for the for the um, fine-tuning piece, so we work together and, and we support uh, like distributed uh, fine-tuning features, right? Directly into the transformer libraries and uh, take advantage of uh, like, the latest Intel Safari feature like AMX and 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 the low precision format like BF16, right? And just a, a very simple command line option like i dash, dash IPEX and BF16, and uh, you get a job done. And we demonstrate uh, um, like almost a linear scaling um, with with multiple node of uh, Sapphire machines, right? And uh, on the inference side, so we also like uh, as it, as Julian mentioned, right? So optimum library with optimum Intel and Optimum Havana, and we integrate um, our Intel tools like Intel Neural Compressor, OpenVINO, and IPex, right, and uh, uh, make sure so like model quantization, pruning, sparsity, and distillations are much easier for the end use, end users, right. They just need to set uh, very simple options, and uh, then call the uh, very familiar trainer API, and uh, they get the job done, right? Inference and uh, runs the best on Intel platform.
0: Yeah, and then we talk about kind of how people are actually starting to deploy AI into real world solutions that a lot of people will use. Um, When I mentioned things like Microsoft Copilot for Office 365 and Adobe Firefly, these are kind of the practical uh, use cases that people have around these demos that we're seeing for large language models or generative AI image generation. But those are kind of from a, a big corporate perspective, are there other... Practical applications that other companies are starting to use, Julian. That perhaps we aren't thinking about. That aren't coming from these big companies.
1: Sure, you know the the deep learning is is great at learning stuff hidden in unstructured data and predicting new data. And transformers, you know, even more so. So um, a lot of I would say everybody has uh, use cases for transformers, particularly in natural language processing, right? Um, Tasks like uh, extracting information from documents, um, translating documents, summarizing documents. Uh, A lot of the customers uh, we work with Uh, start from there you know they have tons of information information overload (laughs) definitely is a problem for everyone and and they need to extract the the right information from those 50 page documents or from those earning calls or from those interviews etc or social media and uh, and find the signals that like let them take the right decisions, right? So it's really okay. There's too much data for everybody to actually read from A to Z, uh, or parse from A to Z. So can we just extract the right signals from that data, and um, and and then you know um, use that to act? Uh, so it's uh, it's the number one thing. Uh, document document processing, um, and of course you know all the task types like uh, working with um, audio and speech. Um, you know, speech to text, and then obviously using the text for additional NLP processing or computer vision, uh, etc. The the transformer architecture has, has really generalized to, I would say, almost every machine learning use case out there for unstructured data. We have customers working on uh, you know protein uh, sequence prediction and drug discovery. You know that's really exotic, but it it works. and um, and so yeah, it's you know you can start you can start small. like you know, raise your hand if you don't have a document processing issue in your company, right? <laughs> okay, I see no hands. So there you go. Um, start with the small models. Like I said, it's a couple of lines of code uh, to get started. Um, and you can start small and experiment and then move on to scale and deploy on-prem or in the cloud, find the right hardware platform for that, find the right you know, cost-performance ratio for that. Uh, we try to give developers as many options as we can. Transformer
2: is kind of a, a, a foundational model, right? So it can support uh, different modalities, not only the text, but also others. As well as like a multimodality, right? You can have multiple input to that, and uh, the other thing is uh, um, the task is it, it can solve or it, it can support like uh, it's also a very set, right? Variable set, and uh, starting from simpler language task all the way to like very complicated lang- language task or other tasks. So that's why we need a different set of models, different size of models to tackle like those problems. And it's interesting
0: when we think about how how we focus on these kind of larger models. We talk about the the hundred and hundred plus billion models that everybody's using, but then in the in reality, to actually use them in production was it's not very cost effective, right? It's just, it's just really not. You can't be running inference um, on eight a one hundreds every time you need to uh, to do any type of inference. We really need to make it deliverable to people. Right. You need to be able to run it on your end user system, potentially on your phone, things like that. So it's pretty cool the way when I think of Hugging Face, I think of it probably incorrectly as a repository for as a technical person. I go there and I can see kind of what models are available and what technology I can use. That is obviously not a business model. That's just a cool tech demo. But Hugging Face has a business. So, Julian, what type of support do you give to developers who actually want to take the cool models that you guys make available and provide them um, in a consumable, customer-facing way?
1: Sure. So th- the core of the company is open source, and that's that's important to all of us. But obviously, you know, we, we to, to keep the company going, um, we we need to make money, right? Simple as that. So um, so we have different commercial services, um, um, and we also do uh, consulting. Uh, So basically, the the, the vision we have is um, models should be free to use, to experiment with, uh, because you don't want to put every, you know, when you have an ID, you want to experiment as fast as you can. You want to validate the ID. You want to get feedback on your ID and any, any commercial deal, any procurement, anything like that, that stands in the way, just slows you down. And you've been kind to say early on, I've been a CTO for 10 years. So I know, I know, I know the frustration of having to go through, you know, legal and procurement and, and complex sales processes to even get started. So here, that's not the case. Go to the hub, grab a model, start playing in minutes. Um, but of course, at some point, you want to move to production, right? And so, concerns like how can I deploy my models um, in in a simple and scalable and secure way? Um, if I decide to fine tune my models, you know, how do I do that in the simpler, simplest possible way without having to build all my uh, machine learning infrastructure and machine learning platform myself? How do I get to the performance level that I want, right? Uh, I have every application has a, a, a latency budget, right? So if you're doing batch prediction, it's okay. Uh, you, you don't need to worry so much, but if you're doing product search or semantic search or conversational apps, you have a very tight latency budget. And as mentioned before, those are big models. And this is where you know uh, hardware acceleration comes into play. So, all those production concerns. I don't want to say ML ops, because, you know. Let's let's stay out of buzzwords. But generally, all the challenges that stand between your cool POC and scalable production uh, is where we have commercial services and commercial support and you know custom model training and engineering i mean we have a, a crazy bunch of experts we can we can whatever the use case we can probably whatever the model we can probably find the right person for you to to talk to and accelerate uh, your your path to production i mean i've seen customers get going from literally you know poc to to full full prod in in weeks and, uh, you know, like two, three weeks, <laughs> because we have the expertise, we put you on the right track, and then we have, we, we save you from all the silly mistakes. Um, so, yeah, there are, you know, that's that's beneficial, and, uh, and we work with a lot of companies, on from startups to really large ones. So I'm going to
0: pivot a little bit. So you mentioned, Julian, how Hugging Face feels that models should be open and people should be able to try them and understand them as much as possible. The interesting thing, and there's a lot of ethical issues and questions around AI, the interesting thing about the latest GPT-4 is that it's closed source and a lot of the inputs that went into it are not well known versus previously uh, OpenAI had kind of a more open model where they, you know, everything was known about GPT-3, what went into it, and people could understand why they potentially were getting answers out of GPT-3 in a certain way. How how does hugging face? um, I I guess maybe it's not hugging face. How do how do you feel around what OpenAI is doing? Is that something that you think makes sense in the long run? Uh, Obviously, it's a business decision for them, and I I, we probably don't want to be poking at other people's business too much. But how do you feel about kind of where that's going? Do you feel like AI models are going that direction, or do you think that we can continue to keep them open?
1: Well, businesses as are businesses. Uh, and, you know, you have to make money. So, I mean, OpenAI is a fantastic team of, of people. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, we're really all impressed by, you know, what they're doing. Um, and if they think the way they're doing it right now is the best for them, then, you know, who am I to say otherwise? You know, I'm not going to go and preach. It's it's really not who I am. Um now, from from a customer perspective, you know, I try to see things from the customer angle. Um, I think it's important to have diversity when it comes to models. I think it would be dangerous um, for innovation and, and 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 ethics and pretty much everything. If you know, a few years down the line, we have you know three to five humongous models that overpower everything. Um, you know, I, I think innovation comes from comp- open competition in every single <laughs> business in the world. So I think closing things down, uh, not disclosing the, tr- the training data or, or the high-level training process or the high-level architecture or, you know, what are the moving parts it, is a concern. Um, and, you know, we've seen another example of that and a few months ago. Um it, you know, when text-to-image models became wildly popular and broke the internet. Uh, and we saw some, some players closing down their models, again, for their own reasons. I'm sure, you know, it makes sense to them. I'm not, I'm not judging. But what was really interesting is the reaction of the community. And within a few weeks... The community joined forces and released uh, the the Diffusers library that that we host, that we that we steward, um, and and you know like stable diffusion models are now open. And honestly, I think that's what people use, and instead of the closed models. So to me, you know, there's hope. Um, again, companies are companies; they they take their own decisions. Let you know. Let may the best company win. May the best model win. But fighting the community, ignoring the community seems like a dangerous place to be for me. Long term, we've seen this, you know, I'm old enough to remember Windows versus Linux. Uh, I'm not going to repeat the the immortal words of the Microsoft leaders at the time. Uh, We've seen closed languages versus open languages, closed databases versus open source databases, literally everything. Um, and and look where we are now. So, OpenAI is doing their be- the best they can. They have some. They have a you know, they have some some lead for sure. Long term, let us see where this lands. But for sure, when it comes to Hugging Face, we know where we stand.
2: Yeah. So maybe I want to also add one thing. Right, people now talk about uh, like uh, the so-called iPhone moment, right? For generative AI is an iPhone moment, right? Because uh, it is kind of revolutionary, right? So it's just increasing a lot, lots of attention and interest. But I would also say, like, what is the equivalent Android moment, right? And uh, so that is uh, the open ecosystem, open source, open platform, right? Intel being a strong believer on this side, I think uh, Hugging Face is uh, also share the same, like, on, on this perspective, right? And uh, so, like uh, I would say, so Intel and Hugging Face, so our collaboration, we should uh, demonstrate is the uh, greatest moment for for the, for the for the Android moment for generative AI.
0: That is a great soundbite. I can't wait to figure out how to put that in the title. <laughs> the Android moment <laughs> for for generative AI. <laughs> it's a, that's a really good analogy, though, because I, I think yeah. that's really true. There's the what's the technology that pushes everything forward and then what's the technology that makes it actually accessible to everyone because not everybody wants to pay 1300 dollars for the cutting edge iphone Um, but they want the same the same benefits without having that that cost around it for the challenges of making sure that ai is ethical um, and usable in a lot of spaces where there are concerns around how the ai is coming to the conclusion that it is. Um, there's a lot of efforts. Um, Intel has some explainable AI efforts, I know.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. So um, we have, uh, yeah, of course we have some effort on this uh, part because this is uh, very important and especially with those large language models. Well, how can we explain it? On the other side, in some particular cases, there's regulations, there's requirement, right? So people need to explain how and why the the model behaves like that right so for that part intel so we are developing a toolkit called xai or explainable ai and uh, support like uh, those common algorithms like Sharp and others right and uh, and 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 uh, just for uh, for 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 this purpose and uh, we have features like a uh, uh, model card generation and uh, we have explainers and uh, we are working together with with open source with other partners and uh, to integrate it into um, our Intel AI software offerings.
0: Cool. And then on the Hugging Face side, Julian, can you talk about how Hugging Face is making sure that the solutions that they're providing and promoting um, kind of meet these ethical rules around AI, really most likely to the benefit of their customers?
1: Sure. So at this point, you know, we, we think it's still very much a, a, an awareness and transparency. So we we introduced uh, the concept of model card on the on the model hub, where uh, we for all the model the models that we manage and obviously we encourage everybody else to do the same. We provide as much information as we can on um, how the model was trained, what data it was trained on, um, what are the potential um, use cases or or. Non use cases for the model. Um, what are known limitations uh, and, and and bias issues, probably caused by the training sets, etc. Um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So we we try to you know it's powerful technology, it's complex technology. Uh, we're very far still from being able to have uh, you know standard tools and standard test suites that we can just run on those models to to get a full picture of uh, you know what's good and what's bad about them so we think the starting point for that is aw- awareness explaining explaining again and again and again that some of those models uh, you know are unpredictable i mean generative ai is designed to output Unpredictable data, right? It's what it's for. <laughs> Build, generate an image or generate an answer. You know, you don't know what you're gonna get. So, hopefully, you're gonna get the correct answer to your prompt. But more importantly, you're gonna get something that's acceptable from a business and an ethical and maybe even legal point of view, right? Um, and um, and so awareness and transparency and analyzing data sets and understanding what's what's wrong about them um, is is still very much needed I, I, I think you know we still don't fully understand what the issues are we certainly not don't fully understand how to fix them um, and there's a lot of research that goes into that so you know I hope we can collectively make some progress on this uh, but for now it's still very much you know let's let's be safe uh, and 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 test those models and figure out, you know, when to put them in production and when not to put them in production. And again, you know, coming back to uh, GPT-4, their 80-page technical report has this paragraph that says for, basically for commercial, for competition, competitive reasons, which everybody will understand, and for safety reasons that I personally don't understand, we're not going to disclose anything about the model. And I, I think it's a bit shocking. If it's unsafe in certain ways, uh, then why <laughs> release it? You know? Why not be transparent on on the on the problems? and uh, and again, help the community figure out how to fix them.
0: Yeah, and I think we also have to be careful about how people tend to use things. i I was reading somewhere where somebody said that they, and again, this was Twitter, so who knows? Um, but multiple people had similar experiences where somebody said, I submitted a paper to a research conference, and the reply was, please go look at these other references to make sure that they don't uh, conflict with what you're already writing. And the person's, multiple people said, I did that. I couldn't find these papers that were referenced. And it turns out that the, the assumption is that somebody was using a generative AI to try to find similar references, and the generative AI spit out a bunch of references that looked reasonable, but as far as people could tell, don't exist. So, so there's all kinds of things like that too, where people are trying to use this new technology without having the pro- proper guardrails around it.
1: Hall- hallucination is, is is a problem, and uh, you know the, the the numbers that OpenAI shared on, on hallucination are, you know, concerning. Um, the you know, and and just generally, generally, you know, like the 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 the, the ability to generate fake news, convincing, very convincing fake data and and so on, you know, it's, the list goes on. So I'm not saying we should, you know, we should pull the brakes on this. Uh, Quite the contrary. I think it's, it's, it's important technology, but we need to discuss the issues in the open um, and, and decide when, you know, what's the risk benefit ratio, just like drugs. You know, when you design a new drug, you, you, you analyze the risk benefit ratio and, uh, and we should do the same here for every every piece of new tech. And for some use cases it's fine. for some it's not and, and and then we work together to find solutions. but like you know putting the locking the issue away in a box is not is not gonna make it disappear and uh, and it's not helping with awareness for sure. So yeah, that's concerning.
0: Yeah, and hallucination in this context, what you mean is it's generating, Output that is not correct. Yeah, it's Factually it's
1: syn- syntactically and grammatically correct, uh, and very convincing, you know, with a a chain of thought, but it's totally wrong. So if you're not an expert, you're going to swallow this, you know, uh, bait, hook, and sinker. I think is the expression.
0: <laughs> hook, line, and sinker.
1: Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So that, you know, that's, 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 that's a, that's a thing, you know, the, the credibility, um, the credibility of the, of the output is important, you know, uh, so we we need, we need to find ways to improve that. I don't have the solution, but I know the the solution will come from collective research and collective intelligence. And the more we collaborate and the more we open this can of worms and fix it, the better. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's the way.
0: We always like to ask our guests at the end of each podcast, What are they looking forward to? And in this space, there's a lot of different things to look forward to. Um, I'll go to Ke first. From your perspective, either whether from an Intel perspective or just from your perspective, what are you looking forward to the most as we look at where AI is going in the next couple of years?
2: Yeah, so um, like for Intel, right? So um, fundamentally, we are like a hardware platform, right? We produce the most advanced hardware with a big portfolio to support uh, like all these uh, use cases we definitely want to continue to innovate uh, with uh, with the best silicon best hardware to meet uh, this uh, demanding AI workload right and uh, for example as I er- earlier as I mentioned right so compute memory and the communication so see are the uh, most important aspects when we um, design the hardware right so then how to balance those things and then make it flexible and can support different uh, um, like uh, AI use cases right there's no one like one model for all one rules for all kind of thing right so we need to make sure it is balanced and uh, it is, the hardware is uh, it has performance has uh, efficiency and uh, has a good TCO story so that's that's the part I think we will continue. Um, need to develop hardware accelerators, and uh, so for for AI's right in particular, we need to add features, for example, like uh, um, hardware sparsity support, right, and uh, continue to innovate on the on the low precisions, right. That's a very very low level. It's maybe it's not inv- it's, it's invisible to to the end users, right. But that's uh, uh, the thing. I think we need to think from hardware perspective, and. Uh, then um, hardware is not enough, right? So it's, it's, it's the software makes things different and eventually it's a user interface, right? And we need to collaborate with um, like a domain leader, ecosystem leaders like Face, And uh, so, but our principle, I, I would say is like uh, we uh, should uh, follow, for example, software-defined hardware-accelerate kind of uh, um, principle and, uh, and uh, really like, uh, uh, when we design hardware, really think about uh, what are the end users, what are the end use cases. And, uh, and another thing is like, we will continue to innovate, right? And on uh, our XPU strategy, so we have one API, and we really want to make sure, like make the life easier for, for the developers, for, for, the, for, the, for the software world, right? So like uh, one thing can cover different pieces, abstract ways those differences.
0: Yeah, and, and I think the one thing that actually popped into my head that we didn't talk about earlier when we talked about Gaudi and Gaudi 2, you were talking about hardware innovation and balancing the compute and the memory and, and the communication. One of the great things from working at Habano, uh, because of the Gaudi solution is actually built for that communication aspect, right? Because it actually allows all of the cards to communicate. One of the cool things that we didn't talk about within uh, the Bloom's experiment was it actually is noted that you're able to do model parallelism on the Gaudi because of that type of architecture. So having that kind of novel architecture actually enables new ways to accelerate uh, our AI compute. So I, it, it was just fun. I really enjoyed that part of working at Habana. And I, I want to make sure I give that, that shout out there, because it just gets me excited every time I hear it. <laughs> um, but then we go next. Let's go to Julian. Julian, what are you looking for in the next couple of years from Hugging Face and in the, in the AI industry?
1: Well, I think, you know, I expect, um, you know, I think we should continue building models that apply to more and more use cases. Um, You know, there are still lots of problems um, that are, you know, not solved or, or can be solved by assembling different models. But I think the task types we have today are still very low level. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, industry-level models, you know, models for healthcare, models for education, models for, uh, I don't know, anything out there. Not just, hey, we have a model for, you know, entity extraction and you can go and fine-tune it. And <laughs> I think it's still, you know, there's still a lot of manual work to do to get to, uh, to, get to uh, end-to-end solutions. Um, and I, I think... Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to bringing those models to the to the edge, so to speak. You know, to smaller devices. Uh, for now, you know, it's still challenging uh, for size and, and latency reasons. But the ability to deploy those super high accuracy models on smaller devices, on phones, etc., will will certainly help um, uh, help a lot. Um, you know potentially working completely disconnected from from the cloud etc and that that would be that'd be great that would enable a lot of a lot of use cases so yeah i think it's uh you know everybody wants super accurate models that are small enough to fit everywhere <laughs> and and uh, that you can customize to your own business problem uh, so there's still a lot of work to do there
2: so that's AI everywhere, right? So AI everywhere story. Everybody can use AI, benefit from AI, and uh, and eventually it's a truly AI everywhere kind of vision.
1: Yep, exactly. It's yeah, applying applying. You know, it's it's transformative technology. Uh, I think we've only still scratched the surface on on, on what's possible, um, and um, and I really really want to see AI finding its way into you know every aspect of our lives you know god knows there's a lot of stuff to fix in uh in society uh, from you know education to healthcare to traffic to energy consumption (laughs) we have a few issues out there um so i'm all for fun and you know generating you know cat pictures and, and 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 whatnot but um, there's also some very serious work to do and uh, and I, I I hope we can get there
0: and that concludes our time for today I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us and I'd like to thank julian
1: sure my pleasure thanks for having me and
0: thank you Ke, for taking time out of your day as well
2: thank you tony yeah.